0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. President Joe Biden has a new target goal within his first 100 days in office. Yesterday, during his first presidential press conference, Biden announced he's doubling his goal to 200 million COVID-19 vaccine doses.
1: I know it's ambitious, twice our original goal, but no other country in the world has even come close, not even close to what we are doing. I believe we can do it.
0: Here in Illinois, Governor J.B. Pritzker received a single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine this week. Meanwhile, in Chicago, city officials are concerned about a recent uptick in COVID-19 cases, particularly among younger adults. Joining us now to discuss this and more is Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Teramina. Hi, Sasha. Doctor, the governor says that Illinois might be losing ground in its fight against the pandemic. How are our COVID-19 metrics in Illinois looking right now?
1: You know, we've had sustained weeks of really favorable numbers and trends. And the first thing we look at uh, when things start moving in the wrong direction is that sort of plateauing. And then we we got there about a week or so ago, and now we are seeing those numbers tick back up. Fortunately, we're not seeing a lot of severe cases, but even in my own personal rounds, I had uh, gone days without a single COVID case, and I had multiple uh, each day in the early part of this week Uh, mild cases, but those that were ill enough to be. Be hospitalized, so we are seeing that trend. We're not alone in this. There's about half half the country saw numbers on the uptick this past week. Some of that being after um, St. Patrick's Day, some of that being uh, some uh, spring breaks that have started and more traveling and more gathering in groups. So we are going to see these numbers kind of pressing in the wrong direction here a bit.
0: Yeah, that's what officials are saying uh, as well. You know, what kind of in- impact do you think that you know St. Patrick's Day? had on this and and also just this reopening of businesses.
1: Yeah, you know, most people who become symptomatic from COVID are those who become symptomatic um, around five or six days after uh, having uh, an exposure being in a larger gathering. So that it makes sense time-wise uh, for folks that gathered in larger groups around St. Patrick's Day and, and things uh, uh, along those lines to be showing symptoms this week. And that's where we're seeing those numbers ticking back up. And the same thing will happen with spring break. You know, we have this, this uh, paradox here where right as things are opening up, vaccine is rolling out. The exact people who are not yet eligible for vaccine are those who are able to partake in these increased gathering spaces, restaurants reopening, and those are the folks that are driving this pandemic uh, with case numbers going up.
0: And so what do you make of this? You know, the mayor has loosened restrictions on outdoor dining, exercise classes, performance venues. Is this a mixed signal?
1: you know, in some ways it can be interpreted as a mixed signal, but in other ways, statistically, it should make sense. We are outpacing uh, case counts with vaccines by far. You know, we're we're at 90,000 plus doses of vaccine being administered every day in the state of Illinois and seeing places downstate where there's ample supply to the point where some are even offering some walk-in appointments. We're seeing these vaccine numbers go up, 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 and in that trajectory, we should be able to have more and more folks vaccinated in the population and be able to have increasing uh, numbers in some indoor spaces and some outdoor spaces as well. But again, it goes back to the fact that there should be a little asterisk there saying you still need to maintain that social distancing and mask wearing, even in these increased indoor space gatherings, especially if you're not vaccinated. Someone who's fully vaccinated may have a little more leverage in a space like that, but these younger folks that just haven't quite reached that eligibility point yet. Um, Fortunately, we'll uh, most likely be infected with mild illness. But this this virus isn't gone.
0: Can we get surplus to areas that need the vaccine
1: you know we would all love that you know we can we can look at the numbers and think why is there so much vaccine downstate and people are driving downstate to get it bring it up here Um, you know we we have allocations coming in from the federal government quite regularly sometimes cyclically where um, we get a lot of doses for two weeks in a row and then the third week seems to be like not a lot of doses There still is a desire for vaccine that outweighs the supply. But, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of sites around the state that are offering vaccine. And it is becoming easier to find that vaccine.
0: All right. Let's hear now from a caller. We have Judy on the line from Elgin. Hi, Judy. What's your question for the doctor?
1: Hello, thanks for taking my call. Um,
0: My 35 year old daughter um, was diagnosed tested positive with a mild case of COVID a couple weeks ago. Um, She still has a dry cough. My question was how long does she have to wait to get a COVID shot once it's
1: available to her age group? That's an excellent question. So um, she can get a vaccine uh, as soon as she's fully recovered, which is essentially now she's beyond 10 days and and, uh, likely fever free. That being said, most people who become infected do develop some protective antibodies for a period of time around 90 days. And it's very reasonable to wait toward the end of that 90 day period for two reasons. One, others are looking for vaccine and may be able to get it uh, ahead of her. And a second reason is getting a vaccine fairly quickly after your illness, anecdotally, people are reporting some significant side effects. It's not across the board, but certainly another uh, reason to go ahead and wait a little bit. That being said, I always tell folks if they're worried this is their one and only opportunity for vaccine in a week or two or three, by all means, get it. We don't want to miss our opportunities.
0: Thanks for the call, Judy. Let's hear now from Jess in Humboldt Park. Hi, Jess. What's your question?
1: Hi. Um, I am wondering about COVID policies in the workplace. Um, I work in a business where everyone is fully vaccinated and we're all um, pretty young people uh, without any comorbidities. And we all wear masks at work. And we're getting to a time where people are planning uh, vacations, um, getting on flights and going far distances. And in trying to reevaluate our COVID policies, um, a question has been brought up about whether or not it's safe People to come back to work before they get their um, COVID test results back, and I'm just wondering, like, what the risk of transmission is between people who are fully vaccinated, who work close with each other with masks on, and um, what we should be considering.
0: Mm, Good question.
1: That's a a great question. Um, Right now we are having more and more industries, businesses, workspaces where people are fully vaccinated. And and I get questions all the time, like when can we take the masks off? When can we start relaxing our own guidance? And I'm less concerned about what's happening within the walls of your business than um, patients uh, and folks interactions outside of the business and travel and things like that amongst fully vaccinated individuals. So that's gonna be two doses plus two weeks or a single dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine plus two weeks. Most people are gonna develop antibodies those individuals are not likely to be asymptomatic spreaders of this virus so presuming good antibodies have developed even if there's a tiny amount of detectable virus because there's been a high risk exposure it is unlikely that that virus is going to be able to spread asymptomatically if you start to develop some symptoms and get sick after travel yes there could potentially be that concern that you're one of the rare folks that did develop symptomatic illness and can spread but being fully masked is also yet another layer of mitigation that's going to protect your workforce. Getting that routine COVID screen after travel uh, is certainly reasonable, especially if there's been some higher risk activities. But for the most part, even if a case comes back positive within the walls of your business, with everyone vaccinated and wearing masks, I would not expect uh, collateral spread within those walls.
0: Let's go back to talking a bit about vaccine eligibility for a second, uh, Doctor. Several states have announced plans to expand vaccine eligibility to all adults. Uh, Illinois plans on allowing all residents over the age of 16 to get vaccinated starting on April 12th. Um, Chicago, though, and, and nearby counties are operating on a different vaccine plan because of limited supply. What does this mean for someone who lives in Chicago who is eligible for a vaccine under the state's plan?
1: So there's a little more legwork that might need to be done. Uh, the federal allocations are separate for the state and for uh, Chicago, the city proper. So there's going to be a little bit different distribution, and some of the collar counties too. We just haven't received as much vaccine as we need for the demand uh, of our patients, which is uh, what has led to a number of people leaving their counties, going to other less populated counties, and and uh, that have openings that are not limited to their city or county borders. So the little legwork may be someone living within the city of Chicago uh, looking around to some of the counties or driving a little bit south or uh, to other areas where access is open to anyone who qualifies in the state. Uh, presently, people are doing that right now. We can only hope that uh, some of the more populated collar counties uh, continue to get bigger supplies uh you know, DuPage County just moved into tier one B plus well after the rest of the state had because we are just getting to that edge where we're able to kind of move forward. So there is a little bit of a lag. Uh, but depending on your willingness to drive uh, within a couple of hours of the city, there should be ample vaccine for uh, those who are looking for it.
0: Let's hear now from Cindy in Manuka. Cindy is in the music business and has a, a question for Dr. Taramina. Hi, Cindy.
1: Hi, thanks for taking my call. My husband and I and all my friends play in bands, wind ensembles, um, and we're wondering if there is any guidance on when we can go back. Part of the problem we're having is we cannot get a rehearsal space where we can distance ourselves six feet, Um, and is there anything – any guidance going on that if the majority of our our uh, ensemble is vaccinated, that we can sort of relax some of those restrictions. So that you're not going to find that written anywhere. That's you know the exact we have X number of people vaccinated in the band and let's go ahead and and do this. The only guidance that is written when it comes to music ensembles, choirs, bands, and the like is that six feet of social distancing, of course. From my perspective, the vaccines are working exceptionally well. So anyone that is medically vulnerable and not vaccinated, it's probably not the best time to be indoors with a wind ensemble where social distancing cannot be maintained. Uh, To the extent that it's getting warm out and some of these practices can be moved outdoors, we're going to be in a much lower risk category. But for an indoor ensemble, maintaining social distancing as you're able to do so, um, you know, as, as much social distancing as possible, three to six plus feet, um, and combining that with fully vaccinated folks, I would say that this, again, becomes a much lower risk encounter. And uh, I could see where there's room for some relaxation of those guidelines and uh, in the light of, of everyone having some protection.
0: Dr. Termina, let's talk about variants a sec. Earlier this week, uh, the CDC warned there could be a fourth COVID-19 surge driven by new variants.
1: Are you concerned? Concerned as much as I am just simply expecting it. At this point, it- the, the surges that we see moving forward are likely to be driven by unvaccinated folks, of course, and folks that are getting uh, more and more exposure to some of these variants as these variants become selected out as being dominant strains in the communities. So we've seen this on the West Coast with some variants in California, you know, now representing, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 percent of all the positive cases. And we're seeing, you know, some of the cases uh, of the U.K. variant in some of the Southern states florida and the like you know inching up toward that 10 percent of all positive tests these variants are more transmissible they're more contagious they bind stronger to the receptors and they're going to be something that that does drive this next wave when and if it happens so while it's preventable With mask wearing, social distancing and vaccination, uh, which, you know, even if the vaccines are not as highly protective against the variant strains as they are against the wild type strains, as we call them, Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to afford some protection. So that's, you know, we need every layer of mitigation possible. And of course, this is all happening during spring break and during times where we're opening things. So I I fully expect that we're going to see some numbers uh, coming up Uh, again. I I hope that this is just a mini peak um, after spring break and not something that turns into um, a a really huge surge. We have to continue to outpace these variants with our vaccines.
0: Yeah, but we want no peaks. (laughs) I don't care I, if it's MINI. I don't, want, I don't want any peaks. <laughs> <laughs> MINI or MAXI, I don't, I don't care what they are, I just no We peaks. have all the
1: tools. <laughs> we, know, we know all the tools for success. We literally know exactly what to do. It's, yeah. it's, it's The onus is on us.
0: Well, you mentioned a couple other states there. I want to talk about New York really quick, because Governor Andrew Cuomo confirmed that a more contagious COVID-19 variant originally identified in Brazil has been detected there. What do we know about that particular variant?
1: So these Brazil variants have been relatively incidental in the US, there's pockets and handfuls of cases. We've had a case in the Chicagoland area as well. Um, Again, it's more resistant. Uh, It contains, uh, you know, different types of of mutations that affect specifically the spike protein, which renders our vaccines as being much less, less efficacious. You know, it doesn't mean zero, uh, but the reality is, is every single active case of COVID, even if it's a mild one, is an opportunity for the replication of that virus to mutate within you and to spread to the next person and mutate further. So we have, you know, the the t- tendency towards these viruses is, is to mutate. Fortunately, we're able to do a lot of sample testing in our communities in our highly populated areas like New York and Chicago and similar large cities to try and pick up where these variants are uh, showing up and do a really strict contact tracing to try and get them contained as soon as possible. Let's
0: stick with variants. We've got a caller on the line, Karen in Naperville, and I think she wants to ask something about variants as well. Hey, Karen. Hi.
1: Um, yes, my question is how, when one is tested for COVID, do they test and, and identify the variant, or when, when do they identify the, the variant that people are experiencing? That's an excellent question, uh, Karen. Basically, it's something that is not automatically checked for on every single person. Uh, They do sort of batch testing and spot testing where a certain number of samples uh, randomly selected are uh, go on for further identification testing to see if any variants are detected. When and if they are detected in a community setting, then the focus becomes to test more and more samples in that setting to see exactly how prevalent that variant is, if it's just an incidental finding, if it's a cluster or if it's something that's becoming um, you know a, a dominant strain other countries uh, are doing much better job than the US where they have the capacity to literally check nearly every positive test for every possible variant but unfortunately in the u.s. we're still getting 50 to 60,000 positive cases per day and we just don't have the infrastructure to test every single specimen uh, so a uh, select amount and percentage are uh, tested based on probability and other factors uh, to see which ones may be variant strains
0: thanks for your call karen let's hear now from ken in elmhurst hi ken what's your question
1: my question is my son has uh, he's 30 years old he has down syndrome and jra and uh, some of his doctors said they did not feel that the pfizer or moderna would be safe for him Um, and i wanted to know if um Perhaps they are, in your opinion, or if the Johnson and Johnson might be safer. He uh, takes medications Enbrel and Meloxicam uh, for the JRA. Sure. Uh, You know, we have lots of patients that are on biologic medications for rheumatologic conditions. Certainly your son uh, with Downs and with JRA would be at higher risk for an adverse outcome with coronavirus, and I would argue that coronavirus would be the greater risk versus any of the available vaccines. Uh, I think that each patient is unique and certainly renders a a conversation with your your doctor that should be had. Uh, But I've had similar patients receive both Pfizer and Moderna vaccines without any poor outcomes and and do very well. Uh, I would definitely encourage seeking vaccination for your son uh, with those comorbidities.
0: Speaking of vaccines, we've talked about this before, doctor, but there's been some caution around the AstraZeneca vaccine, right, because of fears over blood clots. What did we learn from the preliminary results of AstraZeneca's U.S. vaccine trial that came out this week?
1: So the unfortunate part with AstraZeneca is it's had numerous hurdles and numerous hiccups along the way, which uh, really damages the the brand name for it. Because when it does come to market, we're going to have some individuals that are hesitant to receive it. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, <laughs> and because of that, that's why the U.S. ran their own trials essentially, because some of these other uh, trial numbers from abroad just weren't satisfactory. Um, the numbers are fairly good. Uh, we are seeing that the incidence of clotting again is is. Probably present but it is something that is not necessarily in a higher likelihood than just walking around on this planet in the general population in your probability of having an unexpected clotting complication yes some of these clots can be severe and perhaps someone who's very prone to clotting this would not be the best vaccine for them but efficacy wise we're looking at a vaccine that was initially uh, reported to be 79% effective in most cases that was further revised this week to about 76% efficacious but still Uh, when we get to the severe cases and hospitalization in line with all the other available vaccines, uh, nearly 100% effective. And we have a a decent stockpile of this. Uh, It's not been approved in the US yet, but when it is approved, we are ready to distribute it. And in the meantime, I believe the US has uh, shared some of their doses to Mexico and Canada uh, where it is approved currently. So we're starting to see some patients that may have uh, second homes in other places and have been to Mexico. So I've interacted with folks that have have been uh, fully vaccinated with AstraZeneca and uh, with no issues whatsoever.
0: Yeah, you mentioned its approval in in Canada. I can tell you there's still lots of hesitancy, though, uh, around it. I had a full-on conversation with my dad just this week (laughs) who was like, "Uh, I'll wait for Pfizer. Um, So, so yeah. Um, On the vaccine note, though, doctor, there are reports that taking drugs like Advil for side effects can change the efficacy. Should we stay away from that and use maybe Tylenol or...?
1: So uh, one thing we need to, to bear in mind is prior to getting vaccinated, we don't want to take anything unless it's been prescribed to you for part of your chronic uh, health issues, uh, where you take scheduled Tylenol or scheduled ibuprofen or any other NSAIDs as part of your regular care. Um, folks that try to uh, take medications to prevent side effects, we're not going to allow that vaccine to do its job as well as it should, uh, where we need to mount an inflammatory uh, reaction as we mount antibiotics. Now, afterwards, you know, if it's four, five, six hours later and you are miserable with chills and a high fever, as does happen with some folks, by all means, you can you can take uh, a medication to uh, lower your temperature and and give you some comfort there and simply uh, taking medications uh, in small amounts for side effects should not dramatically decrease the effect of these vaccines. These vaccines are very effective. The antibodies generated are very, very robust. Um, So again, uh, I don't want you sitting there miserable, but to the extent that you're just a little uncomfortable and throw an extra blanket on and you can kind of rock and roll, let your body do its thing. Um, And if you can avoid taking Tylenol or Ibuprofen after the vaccines, uh, see if you can get yourself over the hump and um, you're, you're mounting a very good immune response.
0: Let's hear now from Pat in Uptown. Hi, Pat. Welcome to Reset.
1: Hi. Um, uh, I was lucky enough about a month ago to get my first dose of the Moderna vaccine, and some of my uh, friends are in the same position. We were all really excited, and we expected we weren't able to to schedule a, a second dose appointment right then, but we expected that by the time you know the month <laughs> expired, that would be less of a problem because of the supply issues. But I'm finding it very difficult now to schedule that second dose, so I wondered if you had any advice for me. Yeah, this has been a a struggle for a lot of patients that um, need second dose only appointments. Uh, Mm -hmm. Though the way these vaccines are distributed, they're supposed to be uh, where every every first dose has a promised second dose, but there has been a little bit of an issue with a small amount of the population where there was no uh, second dose available or second dose promised. Um, Some Walgreens sites are uh, offering second dose only appointments. If you're able to uh, do the refresh, 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 and look for available slots, you can choose uh, first or second dose and you might want to call around in your um, county as well with some of the bigger vaccination sites to see if there's any way that they are doing any second dose only appointments as well. Uh, They're not easy to find uh, but the uh, website if you're on Facebook Chicago Vaccine Hunters uh, continues to regularly post uh, examples of where folks can get second dose only appointments. This is a very common uh, question and ask and also be aware that while 28 days is ideal. There is some latitude and uh, up to six weeks is still very reasonable.
0: The president uh, doubled his vaccine goal to 200 million doses within his first 100 days in office. He has a little more than a month left to reach the goal. How realistic is this? You know, is the country on pace to meet the goal, you think?
1: Uh we will get there, yes. I, I think that, you know, reaching that that first 100 million doses in about 56, 57 days, I had said um, when I was asked early on if we were going to get to that 100 million goal in the first 100 days, and I said, I think we'll easily be at 150 to 200 million uh, in the first 100 days, and I think that the numbers are there, the promised supplies are there. I don't know if in this next month AstraZeneca will be approved, but that's 20 million more doses the U.S. has. Uh, we just announced that there's going to be another 11 million and Johnson and Johnson doses. Uh, and we've got metrics uh, where Pfizer and Moderna uh, have uh, goals and deadlines to meet with uh, production as well. So I, the supply is definitely here. We do have and will have secured enough vaccine for every adult in this country mm-hmm. uh, in the next month, month and a half, um, even though we need to have time to get it into everyone's arms. But um, I, I think it's very realistic. And it's it's just so encouraging that, that we could have, uh, you know, Uh, two-thirds of the U.S. population with at least one dose in their arm uh, in the next, you know, month, month and a half. That would be outstanding.
0: Let's squeeze in a quick call from one last caller. Laura in Albany Park. Hey, Laura. So, uh, my husband and I are trying
1: to get pregnant, and my question is whether I should get it before the pregnancy or during the pregnancy. Um, My sister's a health care worker, and she told me that um, if I get it during the pregnancy, it could Probably protect my baby, but um, I'm not really sure when I should get it. So that's a very, very interesting question. We don't have any confirmed timeline as to the ideal time to receive COVID vaccine. That being said, uh, there is some move among folks that are already well into their pregnancy to kind of delay toward that third trimester where complications from COVID can be fairly significant. And also we are seeing maternal antibodies uh, present in placental tissue, cord blood, and breast milk. So we are you know, passing these antibodies on to baby to some extent, which is outstanding. That being said, we're in the midst of a pandemic, and I wouldn't want active COVID right now to impact your chances of having a healthy pregnancy or an early pregnancy uh, potential um, uh, uh, adverse outcome. So I wouldn't uh, uh, not get the vaccine when it's available right now. But speak with your OB provider about the ideal time for you.
0: That's infectious disease expert Dr. Mia Teramina from the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Taramina, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Sasha, you too.